Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Uh, if, you're, if you're a guest or a visitor, I'm Andy, I'm the senior pastor here, and you are so welcome. Uh, it is uh, our privilege to have you with us, and we hope and pray you feel very much at home with us. We, we are in the middle of a kind of a, a series called What is the Church? We're actually at the end of it today. Um, we've been asking this question for about five weeks now. Um, what is the church? Why is it important? Uh, we've been talking about how the fact, th- th- this idea that our language kind of betrays us a little bit if we're trying to live consistent with the teachings of the New Testament. What do I mean by that? Well, this happens all the time. If you ask somebody for directions, maybe in a town that you've never been to, and they can often say things like, go past the train station, you'll see a big church on your right-hand side, and then take the next left after that. And we all do this all the time. And the problem with that is it, it kind of leads us into this space where we define the church as a building, which is a big problem, because according to the New Testament, the church is a body, not a building. And um, we get kind of formed in terms of our expectations, our ideas, and what we think and do. Um, We think this space is what church is, when that couldn't be further from the truth. The church is to building what kind of a home is to a family. And it's not that buildings aren't important. In fact, homeless families are some of the most tragic things in the world. And uh, we spend a lot of time in our compassion ministry working with people and families in those sorts of situations and circumstances to make sure that they, that they change. Our homes are important, but our homes are not our families. And so it is with churches and buildings. This space is really important to us where we get to be together in this way, but the church is so much more than than this building. One of the things uh, that we kind of really value is uh, leaning into church as family, and I don't know what your family is like, um, but my family can be a little bit messy and a little bit chaotic at times. Uh, In fact, whenever I meet people and they say things like, my family's like really, really normal, I internally say, you're totally lying and I don't believe anything else you're going to say to me. Because um, family is, uh, it can be tricky, it can be weird, um, and that's exactly as it's supposed to be. The church is supposed to be full of people who are not like you, who step on your toes from time to time, who rub you up the wrong way, who you get frustrated and annoyed with. Why is that important? Because it's in that context that we get to actually practice things like grace and forgiveness and kindness and honesty. These are really, really important. The church becomes dead boring if we're all exactly like each other. And uh, maybe a little bit easier on some of us, but it is not how God designed or intended it to be. There are five kind of rhythms, practices that we've been unpacking over the last kind of five weeks of uh, what makes the church the church. The first one is worship. The church is supposed to be a community that helps us place our worship in the right place. The reality is all of us worship. There is no such thing as not worshiping. The question is, who or what do you worship? Do you worship your money? Do you worship your security? Do you worship your convenience? Do you worship your cars, your holidays? All of us have things that occupy the affections of our heart. And one of the things that the church is supposed to do is help us put our worship in the right place, where we worship one who can actually fulfill the promises that they make. 
And that is the church. It helps us to worship individually and corporately uh, Jesus. The second thing we've been talking about is the church, uh, second rhythm is service. That the church is supposed to be a place that provokes you to live beyond yourself. That we live in a world, in an age, in a time that says you are the most important person in your story. And you getting what you want, when you want it, is really, really important. And if you happen to pay for Amazon Prime and they don't deliver on their 24-hour promise, you're rightly really annoyed. I mean, I get it. I am too. But all of that stuff has a formative kind of thing in our lives where we expect our own needs to be the most important. And the church is a place that provokes us to live beyond ourselves, that we're supposed to serve each other and the community that we're in. We've said this for 11 years now, that the church exists to bless the community that it's in. That we are doing a terrible job if this wider community knows nothing about us and isn't glad that we're here. We exist to live beyond ourselves. The third thing is formation. The church is a place where we uh, are forced, and I probably say that quite deliberately, the church is a place where we're forced to become more like Jesus or we don't stick around. Because when we do it right, we annoy each other, we rub each other up the wrong way, and we then get it decision. We choose to be offended and annoyed, and I just don't like those people. They're all Egypts. Or we get to go, oh, that really hurt me. What do I do with that? I get to now practice forgiveness and health. I get to practice honesty and vulnerability. And in that process, I open myself up to the work of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. Formation is a hugely important part of what it means to be the church. Community, we've been talking about this idea, James unpacked this last week, that the church is supposed to be the most diverse community in the wider community. That there is no hierarchy of importance here. And what's funny is the church can get this uh, wrong often, where we become complicit with power dynamics and the people who do my job are kind of whisked in from a room over here and they do this bit and then they're whisked out and they never actually get to meet with any of you. I have a good friend who pastors in England who says shepherds are supposed to smell like sheep. But there's no such thing as more important in here and in this community. Rich or poor, native or foreigner, male or female, educated or uneducated, we are equal in God's eyes. It's one of the greatest gifts, I think, that God gives the world in the church, that there is a space for you to be as important as everyone else. Because the reality is, out there, there are hierarchies and power dynamics that are off the charts. In every different place you go, in every different corporate culture that you engage in, there are the important people and the not important people. And the church is supposed to be absent of that. And if we're honest, we get that wrong from time to time. But we are supposed to be a community that sees God in each other equally. Even those of us who get on each other's nerves. And finally, today, what I want to talk about is generosity. These five rhythms of the church, worship, service, formation, community, and today we're going to unpack uh, generosity. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lay not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lay not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I wonder what would you say you care about more than anything else in your life? Like if I said, turn to somebody sitting near you right now and tell them what you care about most in your life, I wonder what you would say. I mean, the reality is actually for all of us that changes all the time. Most of us don't care too much about our health until we lose it and then we realize how valuable it is. But we all have things that change and morph and take our affection and our attention all of the time. I want to talk today um, about money. And um, it is true that generosity and the idea of living generous lives is about way more than our money. It's just that being generous with, in all the other ways, for most of us, comes a little bit easier from time to time. If you're a guest or a visitor, I'm so aware that I may be confirming every stereotype you have about the church. They're just money-grabbing silly people. And uh, forgive me, um, we do talk about this regular uh, enough in here. You see, there's something, if you are new to this, that you should know. In this community, we're passionate about following Jesus. We take what he said really seriously. Now, we try to work hard at not taking ourselves too seriously, and we make mistakes, and we own mistakes from time to time, and we make fun of each other, and all those sorts of things. But we're really serious about following Jesus. And we're really serious about the things that he said. And so this is a little bit awkward for me because truthfully, I'd probably rather talk about something else today. But the reality is Jesus spoke about money and possessions all the time. He spoke about money more than prayer. He spoke about money more than serving others. 42% of the parables are about money or possessions. There are 500 verses in the entire scripture about prayer. There are less than 500 about faith and over 2,000 verses in scripture about money and possessions. Which is why we're having this conversation. Money and our relationship to it, possessions and our relationship to them are so important to God. They're so important to God. Why? Great question. So glad you asked. Why does God talk about money so much? Why did Jesus teach about money so much? Now, now you'd be um, understood to critique some of what we see in the, in the world when it comes to television evangelism. And you would be probably right in being a little bit suspicious that somehow the more successful certain ministries become, the more wealthy certain ministers become. And church leaders flying around the world in private jets and all that sort of nonsense, I, I think invites um, reasonable scrutiny and skepticism. I'm trying to be as honorable and not as judgmental as I can, but I don't get it. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus didn't talk about money and possessions so that he could get himself a Rolls Royce donkey and live in a palace. As far as we know, he had no home. Virtually no possessions. So why? Why does he talk about money? Why does he talk about possessions so much? Jesus knows that life with God is all about what or who you love. What or who you love. And he knows that there is a relationship between our money and our affections. 
He knows that, and that's absolutely true. If you want to answer the question seriously, what do I care about? The easiest way to figure that out is look at your bank statement. If you want to know what the priorities of your life are right now, sit down with your bank statement and look at it. You will find in there the evidence of what you care about. And the truth is, some of you care about McDonald's way more than you should. There is hardly a week goes by that I don't say some version. Dana and I have three kids, uh, an 11-year-old and 10-year-old twins, and there's hardly a week goes by where I don't say some version of, see if we didn't have these Egypts, we'd be loaded. (laughs) They cost a lot. Because our deepest treasures cost us the most. The things we care about the most gets the most. And it shouldn't, I hope, come as a surprise to you that as much as I call them agents, they are the deepest, dearest treasure in our lives. John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement, used to say this. This is a hard one for me, maybe for some of you. He used to say this. Discipleship is spelt M-O-N-E-Y. Ugh. It's hard. Certainly in Western cultures, I think that's absolutely true. Discipleship is spelt M-O-N-E-Y. You see, if I'm learning to treasure the things of Jesus and his kingdom, then I'm bound to invest in the things that he cares about. If I'm learning for my affections to come into alignment with the affections of Jesus and the priorities and values of his kingdom, then I'm bound to invest in those things because I care about them. I'll never forget a conversation I had with Matt Forbes. Matt and Kerry and their family moved to um, Canada recently. But years ago, Matt and I were chatting about money and church and tithing and all these sorts of conversations. And he told me about this amazing thing that his parents used to do with him and his siblings when they were growing up, that they would have a budget meeting as a whole family every month. Every month with the kids from they were tiny, they would sit down and talk through how much money was coming in, what was going out, and where it was going, and what the priorities were for their family and all those sorts of things. And Matt was around nine or ten whenever he noticed. You'll get an insight into Matt's brain when I tell you this story. Matt noticed when he was about nine or ten, and he pointed out to his dad, he said, Dad, is it right that we give the government 20% of our money and we give God 10% of our money. That we literally give the government twice what we give God. But you're always telling us that God is the most important person in our lives. That can't be right. I can only imagine this somewhat awkward parenting moment in that scenario. This is why we don't do budget meetings with our kids. (laughs) (laughs) Matt went on to tell me that the next month, his parents did something that he never, ever forgot. The next month, they looked at the spreadsheet, and for that month, they gave the church twice as much as they paid in tax. Now, they couldn't sustain that every single month, but for Nigel and Patricia, they felt like this is really important that we model something for our kids if they're going to catch this, that actually we care about God, not just with our words, but with everything is especially our finances. It's so challenging, right? Are you okay? We're all still here. Some of you are like, I need to go home because there's no toilet here. So (laughs) sorry, Andy, it's got nothing to do with what you're talking about. The water's off. 
One of the things that happens, I notice it all the time, I get feedback on it all the time whenever I'm doing different talks, is, uh, and it happens to us all, it's really natural, so don't feel in any way judged by this, but we, we, we love the talks that we're living, right? Like whenever I'm up here talking about stuff that you're already living out, it's like, yes, say more about that. And sometimes I end up up here talking about things that actually you're avoiding. And you're like, I knew I should have gone for a walk this morning. We love the talks we're living. Um, just imagine for a moment that this was a talk on biblical masculinity. Right? It's totally not, but just imagine it was for a second. And imagine that I said, right, the measure of biblical masculinity is whether or not you're able to make your bed in the morning, right? So let's have some fun for a second. Uh, just men in the room, how many, raise your hand if you made your bed this morning. Are there any of you? Oh, just a few. I, you were still in bed when I left, so that doesn't count. <laughs> so here's what happens, right? So if I'm, if I'm doing that talk and you happen to be one of the few that actually made your bed, you're like, Jesus loves me. If you're not, though, you're like, oh, I wish he would shut up. Especially if you're here and your spouse asked you to make your bed and you didn't. You're doomed for the rest of the week. We love talks that we're living. And when it comes to this talk, it's always awkward. It's always hard. Um, truth is, I don't love it, but Jesus does, so we've got to do it. And if you're here and... How you hold your finances before Jesus is totally settled, then you're either kind of excited or you're maybe a little bit bored. You're like, this is done for me, Andy, move on, let's get the next week. If it's not settled, you can find yourself feeling uncomfortable and maybe even a little bit angry. And the more I go on about it, the more uncomfortable or angry you can become. Because the reality is, in this culture, so often our finances are the place that we actually, if we're honest, get our security from. It's the health of our bank balance that determines the health of our heart, or so we would think. It's the financial surprise that sends us into a stressful tailspin. But you see, the scriptures are really clear. We read them at the start. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Like that's not a suggestion. I think for so many of us, this scripture is actually translated. Trust in your bank balance with all your heart. Lean completely on your own understanding in the odd moment. Submit to God and get mad at him when your life gets hard. That's most of what I engage with in pastoral ministry. I want to live life my own way, doing my own things on my own terms. And then when it doesn't work out, I want to get mad at God because where was he? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, if we haven't surrendered our finances and our relationship to money to Jesus, there is a strong argument that we haven't surrendered our lives at all. In this community, we want our security to be found in God. And those of us who've gone on the journey of generosity have discovered this bonkers relationship 
between generosity and joy. That Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. And we actually notice this as parents all the time where when someone gets something that somebody else didn't get, there's carnage. Until at times like birthdays and Christmas, we walk them through it. You pick the present, you give it to them, and you watch their reaction. And they experience something that they don't get in any other way. You see, our attitude to money affects and infects everything else in our lives because the truth is, and this is pretty on the nose, but it is so true, it is impossible to be spiritually mature without being generous. It is impossible to be spiritually mature without being generous. We are talking about this because it's one of, I believe, the most important metrics in a culture like ours when it comes to the spiritual health of our lives and our community. Why? Because we're never more like God than when we're being generous. We actually believe that. We are most like God when we're being generous. The church is supposed to be the most generous community on the planet. We are supposed to live into the way of Jesus, the cross-shaped life that says we will give up everything for the sake of someone else. And you know, guys, the truth is, and this is a source of incredible appropriate pride for me, that is our reputation in this wider community. Lagan Valley Vineyard is known as a community of generosity. We had the privilege of sitting with the mayor a couple of weeks ago, chatting through lots of different things. And he reflected again, as always happens in that meeting, his awareness of our reputation, of the benefit that we bring to the wider community of Lisburn and the Lagan Valley. I shared a few weeks ago in our family meeting, and if you haven't watched that back, please go and do, because there's a number of stories that I don't have time to tell today, but that inhabit this thing that we've always talked about of being generous from when the church was maybe six or seven months old choosing to pay for a funeral of somebody in the wider community not really connected to us because they simply couldn't afford it to journey church on the other side of town when they were doing their building project giving them ten thousand pounds towards that there's been story after story after story of spontaneous gift days and things that we've done ijm were here talking about it cost five grand to um, rescue a family out of slavery in the world and there and then we just went well why would we ever want to go away and pray about that have five thousand pounds now and right now um, our board and i are in a discernment process to find a special needs school or unit in this area to invest twelve and a half thousand pounds in now here's what's really important for you to understand this is not because we're operating a massive budget surplus at present. Quite the opposite, actually. Every time we have engaged in acts of radical generosity, the backdrop from an organizational point of view of the church is that we haven't had enough. At the moment, our uh, monthly income is around 30 to 35,000 pounds. In order for us to do what's in our hearts to do and what opportunities we have to do, we need that to be around 50 grand. A month. And so we're sitting in the board meeting, what, what do we do in that context? Well, do we hold tighter to what we have 
cut back on this and that and spend a bit more on, on a project that we're doing. Well, from the very beginning of this church, we've actually taken a complete opposite posture. We've went, what, what's going on out there that we need to sacrificially invest in? Because if we're not careful, we get formed in a way that just wants to hold tighter and tighter and tighter to the little that we have. And the way of Jesus causes us to open our hands and open our hearts and live into God is my source. I trust in him. That requires me to do things. And we've exercised that time and time and time again. And it hasn't always looked like give money away, get money back. That's just not the truth. Sometimes that happens. We've had extraordinary stories of that. But here's what we do know. Give money away and access the grace of God in our lives. One of the dangers, one of the dangers of living in a generous community is that we can live generous lives by association. Oh, I'm part of that thing. But it's not actually alive in our lives. You see, trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust requires action. Trust is more than belief. I can believe all day long that planes can fly. I can watch them fly. And if you're having told, you have an app that tells you where they're going. We were at our house one day and someone's flying over and she said, uh, you ever wonder where they're going? I was like, I've never wondered where they're going in my life. <laughs> she said, I have an app for it. Look, that plane's going to that place. <laughs> when it comes to our life with Jesus, I, I notice this in, in uh, people's lives all the time, that they confuse belief for trust. I can believe that flight is possible. I can observe flight all around me, but I only trust in that when I get on a plane to go somewhere. And we can say we believe that Jesus lived, died, was resurrected, ascended to the Father, poured out his Holy Spirit so that we could join him in demonstrating the reality of his rule and reign all over the world. We can say we can believe that all day long and never, ever put our trust in it. It is only when we get on the plane that belief becomes trust. And what does getting on the plane look like? There are so many ways for us in that. Stepping into a moment to pray for someone to be healed. Sharing our faith. But in the day-to-day cut and thrust of life in the 21st century in Northern Ireland, I can tell you this. On a monthly basis, trust looks like you opening your hand and budgeting your giving. Where you don't hoard and hold tight to what we have for fear of losing it. Trust requires action. Trust requires us to get on the plane. Trust requires us to open our hand and say, God, I believe that you provide for me. I don't provide for myself. And the only way to access that is by being financially generous. God longs for us to live whole lives for our lives to be a vibrant example of his presence and his goodness. Wholeness comes from generosity. Wholeness comes from us 
letting go and trusting that he provides for us. If you could practice one discipline in your life that would bring exponential wholeness, I promise you it's generosity. It's generosity. In little ways and in big ways, in spontaneous ways and in planned ways. Learn to live into rhythms of grace which are rhythms of generosity. Grace is defined as unmerited favor, a gift from God, goodness that you have not earned, an expression of his generosity flowing in your life. We uh, talk about this all the time here when we teach on money. 2 Corinthians 8. Um, this is the most mad passage of scripture. So if you've got a phone or you're taking notes, just type in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 7, 1 to 6. We're not, we don't have time to teach this properly now, but you can go home and read it later and just reflect on it. Reflect on what's been said. Let me read it quickly to you. It says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urged Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Like just go home and read over that and read over that and read over that and just hear what Paul is saying about this church. We want you to know about the grace God gave this church in this place called Macedonia. And verse 2 makes no sense, but life with God makes no sense. That's really important for you to understand and make peace with. Life with God makes no sense. Jesus constantly invites us into places and spaces to do things with him that do not make logical sense. Listen to verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, that's not like the water's not working in the toilet, okay? That's likely people are killing them for their association with Jesus or they're removing their, po their possessions, their homes, their employment. In that context, the world is on fire for these followers of Jesus. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. So just hold that for a second. How can it be possible for people to have overflowing joy in extreme poverty. Like, think about the most stressful thing you can imagine. I imagine extreme poverty would be somewhere on your list. We're not talking about there isn't a food bank nearby. and you might, We're talking about there's nothing. Extreme poverty in the midst of that overflowing joy in extreme poverty. And then it says this at the end of verse 2. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus can do that. That in an extreme trial, 
overflowing joy, overflowing joy and extreme poverty can well up in generosity. And guess what happens when that happens? The wider community goes, I don't get it, but I can't deny it. I don't get it, but I can't deny it. There is something other in those people because they've learned to live in a way that makes no sense. That when everything should be forcing them to retreat, hunker down and hold tighter. One, they're full of joy. And two, that joy is welling up in generosity. Paul says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability. How do you do something beyond your ability? Like I wish I was able to play rugby for Ireland. It's beyond my ability. You know that sporting dreams aside, perhaps, God's design for you is to live a life beyond your ability. But that requires you to get on the plane. That requires you to step on trust. Where if he is not real, you look like a fool. That's the deal. They gave beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. Listen, this is bonkers. They pleaded with us. So you get the idea. Paul and his leaders are good pastors. Guys, look at what's going on in your life. We shared a story in the 9.30 this morning of a family that have recently connected to church that contacted a vet to say they wouldn't be able to be here because they haven't been able to afford food for 24 hours. They feel sick this morning, the kids are exhausted, and so they weren't able to to be here. Spontaneously, 350 quid or something was just thrown at a vet to go and buy food and sort that out. People are offering me money in that context that I know their circumstances and I know they can't afford it. And they're pleading, let me be a part of this. That's what's happening here. Paul and his leaders are like, guys, look at what's going on in your life. Hold on to that. They said, please, please, let us be generous. Let us be generous. This makes no sense. But we're following Jesus here. Let us be a part of this thing. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And this is important, verse six. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. There's three levels of giving, three levels of generosity that we see in the world. Level one is giving towards need. You walk past someone in the street who has no food and you go and buy them a sandwich. That's just called being a decent human being. That's got nothing to do with beyond our ability. That's got nothing to do with the revelation of Jesus that we're demonstrating to the world around us. That's just being a good bloke. 
Level one, we give towards need. Level two, we give towards vision. Someone stands up and says, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to build a community center in the middle of that estate and it's going to do cookery classes and it's going to do English language classes and we're going to provide a space for kids and the weekends and all that sort of stuff. And the community goes, do you know what? We really need that. We'd love to see that. Even if we're not going to benefit from that, we're going to invest in that for our kids and we give towards that, giving towards vision. Again, you don't need to know anything about Jesus. You just want the world to be a little bit of a better place. And the reality is most of the church lives between level one and level two. When we stand up here and we say, here's the situation, you guys, without fail, go fix it. Last year, we shared the vision for the space behind us. And again, here you go. We want to see that happen. It matters to us. We want to create more space for our kids and for families. We want to build a community kitchen out there because we know that whenever we're delivering food, so often what we find from people is like, thanks so much for the food, but we don't actually know what to do with it. And so there's a commercial kitchen going in there so we can actually do cookery classes to help people learn how to cook the food that we're actually giving them. But guys, that doesn't require Jesus to be alive among us. It just requires a bit of sense and strategy and generosity. But level three giving, where the church is supposed to live, is when we give because of grace. We don't need to be told about need. We don't need a new vision. We give because it's who we are. Because we know that it leads us into wholeness. And it shows the world that there is something other, something different happening in our lives. People used to say to me all the time when I was uh, learning how to do things like this, that money follows vision. There's truth in that. But it flows from grace. Grace. And we're way more interested in unleashing rivers of grace right across this community for the sake of everyone, not just those who happen to make their way into this building. And the only way that happens is as we together learn how to get onto the plane of trust, where we feel exposed, we feel vulnerable. And we say, God, we trust you with all of our hearts. We're not leaning on our own understanding. It's all you. Um, you'll be glad to know that we're doing a part two of this in a few weeks' time. I'm not telling you when it is or none of you will come. <laughs> um, and I want to unpack, <laughs> luckily for you, uh, something that's more serious than this. And it's God's invitation for us to test him when it comes to our finances. And we'll do that in, in a few weeks. That's a, a bit of a plug. But band, why don't you guys come back up? I want to finish with a couple, two things that are really practical, okay? Dana says this to me often after she listens to, to me talk. We get home and she says things like, I was really exciting, but I have no idea what to do with it. Um, I'm not known for being overly practical. So I'm going to be as practical as I possibly can be um, as we land uh, this talk. Two really practical points for you as you uh, hopefully... Join us in this adventure of, of generosity. The first one is this, and it's so simple. Invite God into your finances. Surprise, for any of you who are sleeping. The first one is this. Invite God into your finances. What does that look like? Open your banking app, or if you do family budget on a spreadsheet, sit down, involve your kids, and just pray this simple prayer. God, we welcome you in this space. Holy Spirit, shape us as we steward these resources. 
Really simple. And if you're super brave, God, would you speak to us about what you want us to do with our money? Now, there's a health warning on that prayer. Because if you invite God to speak to you and then he does, that's on you with whether you're going to be obedient or not. Super simple. Invite him in. Sit with the spreadsheet. Sit with the app. Open your bank accounts and invite him in. And the second thing is this, and this is really important, particularly for maybe some of the younger people in the room. Budget your giving. Budget your giving. That takes us into the realm of trust. Because you see, um, I used to notice this a lot when I was doing youth ministry, and particularly working with young adults, that, you know, and I am generous. Like, I buy my friends lunch when we're out for lunch. That's great. I'm available for lunch. <laughs> I'm actually not, but... Um, <laughs> Or, yeah, like every so often, like I'll see somebody and I'll buy them the, the sandwich you talked about and whatever. That's brilliant. I'm not in any way trying to downplay that. That's great. But we step into trust when we actually budget it. When we know that on a monthly basis, this is what we are giving. Knowing that surprises happen, the washing machine breaks, something else goes on, and we're like, flip, right? We're going to have to wait another couple of weeks before we can do that because we've budgeted this for this budgeting your giving takes you into the realm of trust maybe for some of you you're actually thinking truthfully Andy I don't even have a budget we can help with that and that's really important Yvette shared at the end of the 9.30 and this is not news to any of you that pay attention to the news there's stuff going on in our community at the minute that is unspeakable Delivering food to families that are saying, thanks for the food, but we've actually no electricity in the meter and we've no way to cook it. That's normal. Minutes drive from here. And one of the ways that we get to be good news to the wider community around us is we take seriously the resources that God has given us. We cannot afford to not budget. To not be serious with what God has given us regardless of how much or how little that is, it really, really matters. Some of you sound like your dad right now, sorry. But we need to budget our giving. One of the things that has blown my mind over the years is I've done life with lots of different people from lots of different socioeconomic backgrounds is how often, how often I find the people who have the least hold it the loosest. It's, it's so inverted. It's somehow, it's the people who have the least that so often have the most healthy relationship to being generous with their homes, with their finances, with their time. And once we accumulate stuff and we become wealthy, somehow the temptation to just hold it that little bit tighter sneaks in. Friends, invite God in. Invite him in. And then actually get on the plane. Make a budget. Make a plan. And stick to it. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to. If you're here today and you're really struggling in this area, please do not do that on your own. 
please don't do it on your own. Come, talk to me. It will be totally confidential. And if we can help in any way, just a niggle maybe. Um, if somebody's here and your washing machine has just broke and you're like, I have no idea how to fix it, we'll fix it. We'll figure that out. This is not a give Lagan Valley Vineyard your money. This has become more like Jesus because our community needs it. If you're able, will you stand? Lord, we want to trust you. We want to be in the deep water of your grace. And we know that that requires us to be courageous and brave and to actually get on the plane. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Come, stir our hearts, challenge us, speak to us. We welcome you in.